Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. We believe Jamie was in the home at the time of the homicides, and we believe she is still in danger. A brutal murder in the middle of the night and a 13-year-old girl missing. The case of Jamie Kloss captures the nation's attention. The sense of urgency is growing by the minute here in Barron County, Wisconsin. A community on edge. We're all scared. Who who did this? Who would do something like this? A family desperate to find her. My life was ripped apart and shattered into pieces. A mystery in a small town. I've been doing this for 20 plus years and I just don't know what happened in this case. But hope never lost. Thank God, after those 88 days... We at least got answers. I'm Lou Raguse. This is 88 Days, The Jamie Kloss Story. Chapter 2, Searching. Uh, Good morning. I'm Chris Fitzgerald, uh, Barron County Sheriff. Sheriff Chris Fitzgerald holds two press conferences on October 16th, with Jamie now missing more than 24 hours. He walks out of the Barron County Justice Center at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. to a podium filled with microphones. There are news crews here now from all over Minnesota and Wisconsin, plus the national news. Jamie has been described to those who know her as a sweet and shy 13-year-old who enjoys dancing and sports. She has been missing for a day and a half, and our community is concerned for her safety. An FBI agent and a DCI agent stand behind him. The Wisconsin DCI is the state investigative unit, and when there's a homicide in a small county like Barron, they often send agents there to either help or sometimes take over the investigation. The FBI has sent agents from what they call the Child Abduction Rapid Deployment Team. The FBI can offer expert advice to Sheriff Fitzgerald on what information to release and not to release, and they can help build a profile of what kind of person might have committed this crime. By the end of the day, they will have received more than 200 tips. The Amber Alert website, when it was shared, received 30,000 simultaneous hits. Regardless of what's going on behind the scenes, Sheriff Fitzgerald remains the face of the investigation. And this morning, he signals something that he would repeat many times throughout the weeks to come. Often, someone in the community will acknowledge, will have knowledge about a crime and may not realize it. Individuals who commit acts of violence may display changes in their behavior, and individuals around that person may observe those changes. They will recognize the changes and may even question the people about it, but may not realize those changes are, are the person's involvement in a crime. This is a plea to the locals, anyone listening around the region, to call in a tip if someone they know is acting differently. Such things as missing work, missing scheduled appointments for family and commitments, and they may suddenly leave town. The individual may change their appearance or change something to prevent their identification. Uh, At this time, we will be able to take a few questions. When reporters start asking questions, you get a sense that either Fitzgerald is being very tight-lipped or maybe authorities really don't have all that much information. Can you walk us through that 911 call and why it was unusual? What about it was unusual, that 911 call? The 911 call was given uh, that night from the residents on a cell phone, um, but no contact was made with somebody that was on the other line. And that's what's unusual about that 911 call. There was no one communicating with our dispatcher. The word help, did you hear that? Did the dispatcher hear that? Uh, I don't know that if... 
I don't know if the word help was said. I can't comment on that. I don't know if that was said, um, but there was some kind of disturbance going on and that's why law enforcement was sent to the house. And tell us why you don't think this is a case of a girl who just ran away. Um, that would be part of the investigation that our tips are following up on. Um, and I, I'm telling you, Jamie's in, missing and endangered and uh, th that's where I'm gonna leave that. Sheriff, have you ever seen anything like this? No, I, I haven't seen anything like this in, in rural western Wisconsin. Uh, we just don't see this, thankfully. Sheriff, is there information media. that you are aware of about the crime scene that you cannot share with us? And can you tell us why you're not sharing some of that information with us? Because we don't want to, we want to bring Jamie home. That's the main point. I will not uh, interrupt this investigation for anybody to have any information that's not necessary except for the essential people behind me and their staff. That's why I won't give out any information. If we think it's key to the case where we need the public's help, we will disseminate that information. Uh, but until then, uh, our number one goal is to bring Jamie home and no amount of information will be given out unless we feel it's appropriate to help. Yes. Already, a lot of people online are speculating whether Jamie herself had something to do with the plot, pulling theories out of left field. Even though there's no evidence pointing in that direction, and the people who know Jamie tell us they don't think it's possible, the sheriff hasn't definitively ruled out any scenario. And as reporters continue the barrage of questions, they ask about a lead that's circulating around the country. It's actually the only lead that's been made public so far. The weird thing is, it didn't come from Sheriff Fitzgerald. It comes from the Miami, Florida Police Department. They tweeted that Jamie may have been seen in the city of Miami the afternoon after the crime inside a black Ford Explorer with Wisconsin plates. But think about it for a second. It takes 26 hours to drive to Miami from Barron, and this alleged sighting happens just 17 hours after the 911 call at Jamie's house. So the numbers don't add up, and Fitzgerald says the tip is not credible. I cannot stress that enough. We are asking the media, the people on Facebook, if it does not come from this podium, it is not a credible tip. Amber Alerts, usually for an abduction, are you classifying it abduction? Uh, I'm not classifying it as anything except she's missing and endangered. Sure, I'll be honest, uh, you know, we're, I'm struggling with this because I don't have some of the, those answers that I want to give you. I want to give the family. Uh, Sheriff, when was the last time Jamie was seen, someone had a contact with her? Uh, what can you tell us about that? Uh, we're closing that timeline. That's part of our investigation is the timeline of this case. And we continue to follow up on that timeline. But Sunday afternoon, there was a family gathering that she attended. A family gathering. That's the first bit of new information we get that retraces the steps of the Kloss family on the day leading up to the crime. We find the Facebook account belonging to Denise Kloss. It's still there, online, frozen in time. And we can see some photographs, posts, and comments posted Sunday from a birthday party for one of Jamie's cousins. We learned Jamie and Denise were there, but we don't know whether Jim was. At the afternoon press conference, Sheriff Fitzgerald has two poster-sized photographs of Jamie, one on each side of the podium. And joining him is Diane Tremblay, the Barron Area School Superintendent, who tells us more about the missing eighth grader. Jamie is a sweet, quiet girl who is a loyal friend and loves to dance. She is a runner on our cross-country team and a wonderful addition to our Barron Area School District family. A teacher just recently shared this with me about Jamie. 
Jamie wrote on one of her assignments, in response to the question, what would you do if you were given a million dollars? She said, feed the hungry and give the rest to the poor. Then, with the press conference over, reporters notice a woman standing behind them at the back of the crowd, visibly shaken. Reporters start asking her questions as the cameras rush over. She says this has been very difficult. No one knows it at the time, but that's Jennifer Smith, Denise Kloss's sister, Jamie's godmother and closest aunt. Jennifer used to run a daycare and watched over Jamie while her parents worked from the time Jamie was a baby through age 11. Even though they don't know her relationship yet, reporters can tell she's related to the family in some way. They ask about Jamie. If Jamie's the sweetest little girl, she wouldn't hurt a soul. There's, I, this ain't the time to replace people. Thank you, Another sir. day. Okay. Ma'am, what's your name? Jennifer's husband tells reporters this isn't the time or place, and he puts his arm around her and leads her away. Jennifer sounds very broken here on day two, but we would later learn she never gives up hope. As the days start to pass, signs begin to pop up around Barron, starting with City Hall. It says simply, bring Jamie home. As life continues to go on in the small town, much of the community is trying to figure out what they can do to help. Everybody's talking about it. You know, these are a lot of small communities all clustered around each other. At a local deli in nearby Cameron, where the Kloss family goes to church, the owners plan to start selling wristbands to raise money for funeral costs. She tells us she's affected by the news. People are scared. They're confused. They don't know how or why this happened to this family, why it's happening in our area. You know, people are, are worried about their children, and we're worried about our neighbors. Everybody just wants to find Jamie and bring her back to her family. Everybody's trying to do something. We all want to help. We all can't physically be out looking for her, or do they, they don't always need us out physically looking for her. So it, that was a way that we could step up and, and help as a community and do what we can to help. We hope Jamie comes back home safely to her family. And, you know, it's... it's it's sad that in this area, things like this can happen to us. As we talk with more people in the area, we start to learn more about Jim and Denise Kloss. They both worked at the Jenny O Turkey Store for 27 years. That's a turkey processing plant and by far the largest employer in Barron. This gave police a lot of people to check into. Anyone at Jenny O who ever had a disagreement with Jim or Denise. From that a lot of rumors begin to swirl about what may have led to the crime. But we learn the company is cooperating with police. Carolyn's Kent Erdahl is live tonight in Barron. And Kent, how's this investigation evolving? The couple worked for 27 years at the Genio Turkey Store in town, which released a statement today saying, quote, we are mourning this loss and are still processing this terrible tragedy. We are also hopeful for the safe return of their daughter, Jamie, and are keeping her and the Kloss family in our thoughts. Despite rumors centering on the turkey plant, when we talk with people who actually knew Jim and Denise Kloss, they make it clear to us they don't believe someone would have a major problem with them. And definitely not a big enough problem that they'd want to kill the couple. Just, just the waiting is so hard. This is Melissa Selmanson, a local woman whose kids went to daycare with Jamie. They're just a really good family. They would have done anything for anybody. And I just can't imagine anybody would want to hurt them. I can't imagine anybody would have any ill will towards them. So it's just really confusing. And Patty Gerber, the local parish director from Kloss's church, goes into more detail about this with Care 11 reporter Danny Spiewak. I can't picture Denise with me talking to her not having a smile on her face very positive in that way, at least to me. 
And um, Jamie, kind of the same way, but a little shyer, you know, like this little grin out of the side of her face as she's looking up at me. I mean, that's how I, I picture her. Um, just, just sweet and supportive. I mean, very positive. Uh, just tell us a little bit about the involvement that the Jamie and her, her family have had over the years with the church. Jamie has been one of our students for, um, I believe, since she was in preschool. Uh, I actually was her second grade um, and first communion teacher and, and, and have worked with her a lot through the years, um, church as well as Girl Scouts and other things. But um, her mom also uh, taught religious ed for us for several years. She liked to work with the younger students. I think a lot of people are just in shock still. It's pretty surreal because it's... Um, well, I guess like any unexpected tragedy, it's just hard to believe that it actually happened and, and we don't know all the details, but um, I think a lot of people are hurting. And I think, you know, with Jamie missing, the focus has, is there right now. But as, as time goes on in the week, you know, people are going to really feel um, that sorrow from the loss of those two people. Yeah, it almost strikes me as like a helpless feeling because everybody wants to help and they want to get out and canvas, but I think law enforcement sort of has their eye on what they think the case is. Is that... Right, right. So I think, I think yes, everybody wants to help and feels helpless, but also um, we have a lot of trust in our, our sheriff's department. Our sheriff is uh, uh, phenomenal and very well respected, Chris Fitzgerald. And... Um, I think people have the confidence that they're doing everything that they can. Um, you know, being a leader of the church, the biggest thing we can offer and, and suggest to people is prayer uh, because, you know, God can help us maybe get through this one way or the other, maybe help to find her. And um, at least that gives somebody and people um, a feeling like they can do something. Yeah. yeah. You, you did great. That was really, really helpful. So we really appreciate it. Yeah. With so many people telling us they want to do something, anything to help, it does seem a little strange to us that there are no searches going on. It's been four days since the 13-year-old Barron, Wisconsin girl vanished and a nationwide Amber Alert began. Finally, with Jamie now missing for four days, Sheriff Fitzgerald asked for 100 volunteers to do a small ground search near Highway 8. You didn't think twice. I did not, no. More than 600 people volunteer almost immediately. I'm like, you know what? Pretty darn close to home. Grab my stuff and go. Literally went home, grabbed my boots, grabbed my coat, and out the door. Ashley Vandenbrink doesn't find anything, and neither do the other 99 searchers, walking through the ditch between the highway and the railroad tracks, wearing yellow reflective vests over their hoodies. But everyone involved seems to be happy to be able to do something. Meantime, we're finally learning a few more details about the crime scene. Even though it was implied before, Sheriff Fitzgerald now finally confirms Jim and Denise Kloss died from a shooting. And he says the killer made it in and out of the home within four minutes, which they can tell because of the time that passed between the 911 call and when the first deputy arrived. The county releases the 911 call log, one of the few pieces of information that is presumed to be public information in these early stages of an investigation. This document contains the notes put into the computer by the 911 dispatcher the night of the crime. 
We're now on day five of the Amber Alert and search that will stretch into the weekend. And despite more than 1,000 tips and hundreds of interviews, there is still no sign of Jamie. Tonight, Gordon Severson's live in Barron with a breakdown of the timeline of these 911 calls. Randy, those 911 logs offer some new insight into what happened at the Kloss family home that night. They show that the front door had been kicked in and that the 911 call was made on Denise Kloss's phone and it came from inside the home, but all dispatchers could hear on the other end was yelling. At 12.56 Monday morning, the first 911 call went out from Denise Kloss's cell phone, but it's unclear if she herself made the call. That call went dead, so dispatchers tried calling back, even trying the family's home phone, but the line was disconnected. At 106, deputies reported the front door had been kicked in. A man was lying unresponsive on the floor, and there was evidence of gunfire. At 111, they reported two people unresponsive inside the home. At 132, a search team was requested. At 357, Jamie was officially declared missing. And then 12 hours later, the Amber Alert went out. I arrive in Barron for the first time on Sunday as we approach one week since Jamie disappeared. We start with the missing 13-year-old girl from Wisconsin, Jamie Kloss. Lou Ragus is in Barron, Wisconsin, where the community is praying for Jamie to come home safely. Lou? I attend a morning church service where a priest lights a candle and says a special prayer for the Kloss family. Some of the churchgoers chat with me afterwards. What kind of toll has this taken on the community over the last uh, week? It's been pretty um, shocking. Um, I actually work for the school, and we have definitely seen the impact, um, not only in the community, but in the school, and as a, the larger nation, almost, because you hear the word barren, and they're like, oh, did they find the girl yet? So it's pretty incredible. No, what, what kind of toll does the unknowing take on people, and on kids? Uh, I've heard that the middle school has... Um, been going through a lot and it's been very hard because with a death there's finality but there is no finality right now there's just everybody's just wondering what ifs and what where could she be and how do we move forward mm -hmm. it's a small community and stuff like this isn't supposed to happen in small communities the reason why we live um on two hours away from the cities is that reason that we want to be quiet, we want to maintain our lives without any worry about someone breaking in, our, you know, to our houses and um, violent crimes. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it's kind of weighing on everybody around town? I think it is, very much so. Everybody has been kind of gloomy this past week. So. Do you feel like there's still hope? I do. I never give up hope, but... With each passing day, it seems, you know, no new clues, no new leads. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to have that hope, mm -hmm. but we pray. Lua Goose is in Barron tonight, where the sheriff has now received more than 1,200 tips in the case. There was no official update today from the Barron County Sheriff's Office. A lot of the residents I spoke to are looking forward to a community gathering tomorrow night at the middle school that Jamie attends. The next day, late afternoon before that community gathering, finally, we learn what sounds like a real clue. Good evening. Take a look at your screen. In the last hour, the Barron County Sheriff released these photos, saying they're looking for two possible vehicles of interest in the search for 13-year-old Jamie Kloss. 
Let's get right to Lou Raguse, who was at this evening's news conference in Barron. Lou? Carla, this is the biggest tip law enforcement has given the public so far as they continue to search for the suspects and hopefully bring Jamie Kloss home alive. The sheriff says they've identified through surveillance video what they call vehicles of interest. Sheriff Fitzgerald is back at the podium with poster-sized photos of cars next to him. Through the examination of video camera footage, both from businesses and homes, we have determined two vehicles near the Kloss home at the time of the incident. The first vehicle is likely a 2008 to 2014 Dodge Challenger, red or orange in color. The second vehicle is likely either a 2006 to 2010 Ford Edge Black or a 2004 to 2010 Acura MDX black in color. Were they seen in the yard, in the family's yard? They were seen in the area. Also, for the community, this is a good time, now that we have some vehicles of interest, to look for changes in behavior or routine of people. We have the two cars described. Either they don't drive them anymore, they've changed their routine on what they drive or where they drive. Sightings of Jamie, you should call 911. Sightings of this vehicle, you should call our tip line. At the press conference, we're not actually shown the surveillance photos, but instead just stock photos of the make and model of the vehicles the sheriff tells us about. Fitzgerald says no other makes and models of vehicles are being followed up on. Again, the big news late this afternoon is the revelation of the possible make and model of cars belonging to the suspects. Carla? All right, Lou Raguse live in Barron, Wisconsin. Thank you so much, Lou. Now, this evening's community gathering ends up getting so much interest, they move it from the middle school to the high school football field under the full moon. Thank you for being here. Superintendent Tremblay and a local pastor welcome the families as they fill the bleachers, while police with canines walk past the cars parked along the nearby streets. Students line up on the field, and everyone lights a candle. This vigil, this gathering of hope, as they call it, is really what the community has been craving. It's the first time they've all gotten together in one place at the same time since the tragedy one week ago. Our hope is that our evening together will provide some comfort and support to everyone here tonight. We all have the same goal in mind, and that is to bring Jamie home. We intentionally chose to call this event a gathering of hope, because hope moves us against the facts of circumstance and beyond despair, fear, and anxiety. Hope is the sheer presence of peace in the midst of grief and deep sadness. This is a gathering to embrace the shared experiences of all who have gathered here. In the face of deep sadness and fear, we will overcome. Next, it's the students' turn. Jamie's classmates from Riverview Middle School in Barron. Jamie is a member of our choir here at Riverview. Our community stands behind her and with her in hope. There are many tears among the hundreds at the football field. Music the world. When the students finish, 
there's a long moment of silence. Then, without saying a word, a local musician approaches the microphone and plays a moving rendition of Let It Be by the Beatles. This local musician is Chris Cruzy, who was just selected to compete on NBC's The Voice. If you've ever seen shows like The Voice or American Idol, when the contestants come from small towns, it's a huge deal in those communities. And people in Barron were looking forward to cheering for him and seeing their little town featured in prime time. In fact, we just visited Barron 12 days before Jamie disappeared to talk to people around town. Jamie and her classmates at Riverview Middle School made one of the dozens of signs supporting Cruzy you see when you drive into town. And if you walk through the streets of Barron, it's hard to not find a sign like this supporting their hometown boy. I wish him the best of luck and may all his dreams come true. The Voices Battle Rounds will begin on October 15th. No doubt everyone here in Barron will be cheering him on. Of course, October 15th was the day of the terrible crimes and the community's priorities shifted. But as Cruzy advanced on the show, he turned into an escape for Barron, a positive distraction once a week while they dealt with the fear and desperation resulting from the crimes. Carol Evans' Ken Erdahl was there when Cruzy performed for Jamie's classmates to try to lift their spirits. Yeah, it was something that he had planned to be doing at some point, and then all of a sudden all of this happened and coincided with that time. He had spent time in the same middle school as Jamie. That's where he got his start in music. And all of a sudden he's going in there and he realizes that he's not only playing for students, but he's there to lift their spirits. And he said he took that very personally. And it was really, really special to see him connect. Barron's Riverview Middle School finally had reason to cheer. You guys mind if I play a few songs for you? Oh, it's cool. I mean, because there's, there's a lot going on and just to be able to come in and, you know, bring everybody's mood up a little bit and have them have fun and make some noise and be goofy and uh, be kids. Um, yeah, that was the whole point of it. So this is Barron, Wisconsin. We're a small town. Everybody knows everybody and everybody's got each other's backs. And um, if I can come into the school, do something like this to bring the moods up with the kids, that's a small thing that I can do in a tough time for our community. What do you want the kids to walk away with today? Smiles and a good mood. Yeah, that'd be about it. And Cruzy used his national platform to share Jamie's story. And as a result, even more people started looking for her and praying for her. It was really a no-brainer that um, I had to find some way to, you know, pay tribute and then, you know, somehow bring hope. And um, I think most importantly, keep Jamie's name in the news. Um, I hate to see that kind of dwindling away. And it was that perfect kind of break for so many people there to be able to see him up there, putting them on the map, also helping raise awareness for this. And they just, they knew what kind of a guy he was and what he had done for them. And there was so much joy. And so many people said it was what they needed more than anything else. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. 
It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. This podcast is sponsored by the new Care 11 app, now totally redesigned to make it the newest, easiest, must-have app for Minnesota weather with interactive radar, video forecasts, and hyper-local accurate weather alerts. It is still coming in with a lot of lightning and thunder. We do have a few warnings out for a number of counties. From the hottest days to the most severe storms, stay on top of it all with the new CAR-11 app. Download or update today. Another thing the people of Barron needed was to roll up their sleeves and help. I told you I'd come out in front of you when I had information that I needed from the public, and I'm telling you we need uh, 2,000 people tomorrow to do a search. Finally, not just a 100-person short walk along a highway, a large-scale search for evidence across the rolling farm fields in the woods beyond the city of Barron and right through the streets in town. The volunteers are asked to meet at 9 a.m., And the next morning, there's a caravan of slow-moving vehicles backed up for miles, heading toward the meeting spot in the middle of a field where there are so many cars, people volunteer as parking attendants. Well, the Barron County Sheriff's Department put out the call, and the community is answering this morning with 2,000 volunteers asked uh, to come here just north of the community of Barron to start an all-day ground search. Will they be looking for any evidence related to the Jamie Kloss case and her disappearance that happened now more than a week ago? There's been a long line of cars to get into this field this morning as people are eager to help with this investigation. Well, I have a granddaughter that's 11, so it's emotional. And I've driven through Barron a couple times to go visit them this week and seen the crime scene. So yeah, very, very touching and I'm emotionally unbelievable of the people that are here. Yeah, when you look out and you see that, I mean, even when we walked up and you see all the cars and you see this many people in one spot, I guess, how does that make you feel just looking out and seeing the effort? Just unreal. It's just people from everywhere. So, yeah, it's really inspirational that there are a lot of good souls out there. Thank you for volunteering your time today. It's a sad a case that we're all here, but I think it's a really good cause. And you- Many law enforcement officials like this from all over the region are organizing the volunteers and leading the search. They document everyone's ID, perhaps in case the killer is inserting himself in the investigation. You know, your help is definitely appreciated and is going to go a long ways today. So our team will be searching a two square mile area for anything pertinent to the search. So we're looking for cell phones, guns, clothes, etc. Anything of ed- evidentiary value that could be related to a 13-year-old female. So if you find something of interest, let your team leader know. We'll flag it and someone will check it out. Or so say, we don't pick it up. No, do not touch anything. So we'll be walking slowly, um, about a mile an hour, and looking for anything the size of a wallet, cell phone, gun, etc. Uh, I have kids, so I know if my kid was missing or kids, I know people would be there to help. Um, So I own a couple businesses, and I put it out to my employees today if they wanted to go and help. We brought a bus down today. So we had a little over an hour drive. You know, there's a lot of things you can and can't control. Um, The only thing I can really control when you're seeing this, a little girl missing, is being here today and being here when they ask for help. You know, your heart goes out. Uh, my daughter's 14. She's 13. 
So it, it, it really hits home. This man who drove 50 miles to help is slowly walking alongside a city street with a group of 75 people swishing away the leaves with his feet. You guys on the corner, you're gonna have to go really slow and wait for them because that's tough. I'm looking for uh, something that's obvious, girl size shirt or... A state trooper stops to mark a piece of clothing he finds on a steep embankment, but he's not optimistic that it's evidence. You know, but I'm gonna mark it. I don't think they're gonna have any interest in this, but I'll let them know about it, so... Our news helicopter overhead captures an iconic view, a line of people hundreds of yards long searching but no one finds the link that they're hoping for. In a message late this afternoon, the Barron County, Wisconsin sheriff called the response from the community and law enforcement overwhelming. And the sheriff told us here as people are starting to leave that there was no evidence recovered yet connected to the investigation necessarily. Uh, but even with that being said, here was really the effort that counted. It was comforting in the fact that we didn't find you know, anything really horrible, but um, of course we want to find something that can bring um, leads in and find out where Jamie's at. But the community comes together, not just Barron, but all of western Wisconsin and beyond. And that bond promises to keep hope alive perhaps longer than before they gathered for the search. I was backed up for several miles before I could get here and just to see the outpouring from not just our community but from people as far as Missouri and from the Twin Cities that came over today to help us with the search was just amazing. It just really speaks volumes with all the negativity that's going on in the world to see that there is still some good. When I return to Minneapolis, everyone has questions. What do I think happened to Jamie? The biggest mystery to me is, did the person or people involved kill her parents so that they could get to Jamie? Or did they target her parents and take Jamie because she was a witness? Another question I keep hearing why isn't Jim and Denise's family talking publicly? Here's what the sheriff told us. Well, we do not have a gag order on the family. The family has chosen to all of their comments will come through me. Everything that you hear from this podium is what happened. They want to bring Jamie home. That's all they want. Um, and they don't need to talk about it because they know what we're doing and our teams are doing. One more. There's no playbook of how to handle a tragedy like this. But reporters in Minnesota are somewhat conditioned from a 1989 kidnapping case of a little boy named Jacob Wetterling whose name everyone in the state remembers. If you don't know the case, Jacob was taken by a masked man in front of his brother and a friend in a small Minnesota town. Jacob's parents, Patty and Jerry, were on TV from the first day pleading for the abductor to bring him home. The Wetterlings didn't get closure for more than 25 years when Jacob's kidnapper and killer was finally caught. The Wetterlings became household names in Minnesota, and Patty Wetterling went on to become a national advocate for missing children. So I think when we see a similar situation, that's what we expect to happen. But it's important to remember this case is more than a missing person case. Jim and Denise Kloss were brutally murdered. We imagine the rest of Jamie's family could be scared for their own lives. And Care 11 anchor Jana Shortle and I convey that in a conversation we aired when I returned. You're not hearing from the family, you know, not getting in front of the cameras and pleading to bring back their loved one. Why is that? I don't know. The sheriff told us yesterday that the family has asked all of their comments to come through him. He just told us that they told him they want to be left alone. And who could blame them? They could be terrified. With Denise and James being killed and Jamie vanishing all in the dark of night, there is no script on what they should say or could say. We've not seen anything quite like this. But finally, on day 10, we learn we're about to hear from Jamie's family. Next, I want to introduce Jennifer Smith 
aunt of Jamie, for a short statement. Jennifer Smith, Jamie's godmother, the same woman we saw in tears on day two, approaches the podium. We would like to thank the community for their continued love and support of our family during this extremely difficult time. It was amazing to see the outpouring of love at the vigil the other night for our sweet Jamie. In her left hand, Jennifer holds a bottle of Starbucks iced coffee. Next to her stands Jennifer's sister, Susie Allard. Susie is holding a shaggy white and gray dog. Both women have ribbons pinned to their coats, blue and green, Jamie's favorite colors. Ribbons the community was distributing this week to help raise awareness. Jamie, not a moment goes by when we aren't thinking of you and praying for you. Your family and friends miss you so much. Your sparkling eyes, your bright smile, your soft little giggles. Your dog Molly is waiting for you. She's sleeping in one of your sweatshirts and will only eat chicken. Grandpa needs new artwork on his fridge. Aunt Susie wants to go jogging in the park with you. And I want that girl's shopping date we planned. I even brought your favorite iced coffee with me today. To whoever may know where Jamie is, please contact the Barron County Sheriff Department. Jamie, we need you here with us to fill that hole we have in our hearts. We all love you to the moon and back, and we will never stop looking for you. Tomorrow marks a somber anniversary in the small community of Barron, Wisconsin, as the search for Jamie Kloss hits the one-month mark. Next time on 88 Days, Jamie's family opens up. Whoever did this cannot get away with it. They can't. Through them, we get to know Jim and Denise. We're trying to grieve our brother and sister-in-law. But when you grieve, then you feel guilty because you're grieving because you still have a niece that we want to come home. They share what they think might have happened. And with the holidays approaching, they give us a clear picture of how their lives have changed. It's shocking. It's devastating. But we'll have hope and we'll, we'll get through it. And, and hopefully she comes home and we'll be, everybody will be good. So that's all we can do. This is 88 Days, the Jamie Kloss Story, a CARE 11 original podcast in association with Vault Studios. Check out 88dayspodcast.com for more information on the Jamie Kloss case. 88 Days is written and produced by me, Lou Raguse, and Ellie Coder. Original music is by Dave Mailing and Emily Havik, and original artwork by David Malman. Special thanks to Care 11 management and staff for their contributions, the people of Barron, Wisconsin, and the Kloss family. Growing up here, dealing with everything that's going on now, I'm surprised this town's even standing. Bardstown, Kentucky is a small town in the heart of the Bluegrass State. But Bardstown, Kentucky also has secrets. Five unsolved murders over four years. Rumors and theories, and still no one is behind bars. I've been 100% great. Listen to what I'm saying. You listen to what I'm saying. Bardstown, a new podcast from Vault Studios. It's been you know, almost six years. There's still not a lot of answers. 